This is Purple Radio On Demand. Hello and welcome to Who's Up Podcasts. I'm Jacob. I'm here with Martin. Hello. Christian. Morning. And our guest this week, Tom. Hi. Who seems very, very scared to be here. And that is the correct response. <laughs> yep. Actually, in this, up to this recording session, we haven't really said much to scare him yet, I'd like to think. Yeah, because you're saving it for it to be documented. <laughs> right, yeah. Don't don't act like we don't know what you like. I was just busy with my yo-yo until then. <coughs> so, this week we'll be discussing the second half of Trial of the Time Lord with Terror of the Verboids and the Ultimate Foe. So to start with Terror, after the events of Mind Warp, which, spoilers for this and like everything we discussed the other day and everything else, and about 84 audios, I believe, Christian? Yeah, at least. Fun. So after the events of Mind Warp, where Perry was shown to have been killed, the Doctor presents new evidence to the court from his future, in which he's travelling with a new companion, Mel. And they end up on a spaceship that's sort of... um, It's like a scientific spaceship, and there's also holidaymakers. And it becomes a murder mystery as the plant creatures being stored in, in a secure facility called Vervoids break out and try to murder everyone on board. That was a terrible description, but... It's like uh, someone played Spin the Wheel and picked up as many plot points as they wanted to from that. It's not a particular... To be honest, I said it as it was edited, because it's such a weird episode editing-wise, it just jumps between moments so quickly. Yeah, it's weird. What did did you think about it, other than the editing? Um, It was a bit phallic, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, what isn't these days? Uh, it was that, the 80s. It was the 80s. Yeah, that, that's how the 80s worked, Martin. Actually, it kind of was. I don't know what got me more of a vervoids of a sausage kebab. <laughs> that's ultimate foe, so you know, later. And I'd yeah, like to exactly. congratulate you all on just breaking the record of us getting cancelled. <laughs> so, but I thought it's, um, I think I was, my, my expectations were very, very low. Mm. And they were subverted. I feel like so, bits of this episode are the trial scenes, and that's saying a lot for the episode side of this um, story. Yeah. See, I, to be fair, I did like the fact that it was the Doctor's um, defence in the trial, so it was his time to like counteract what the sort of Valyard was saying, or the rail yard, or whatever, insert yard pun. Backyard, <laughs> I think it was most recently. Yeah, I mean, yeah. scrapyard, backyard. Um... I mean, I liked, okay, so the initial premise, whether you actually land and the Commodore's there, who knows the Doctor from some previous adventure, and then mm. Tom was like, am I supposed to know this person in the chat? <laughs> um, oh, no, I was the same, yeah, thinking. Yeah, too fair. But, like, I do actually like that. Um, I think maybe if the episode overall was a better quality, people would remark more highly on that. But it's an interesting premise to have um, people just know the Doctor already. Um, because, you know, it's the Doctor's travelled for a really, really, really long time now. So um, the idea of bumping into past people, maybe if they had focused more on that, um, we could have made an interesting episode premise in the first place. Just the Doctor knows someone already. How do they react to him? Like in a hypothetical episode, maybe have like, not Vervoids in this case, but like in a different episode, have whatever the Doctor's first adventure with that person was affect the result of this episode. Mm. Mm. Just imagine the alternate take of a good man goes to war 
And they just bring the Commodore into the <laughs> run. That would go too fast. That would be terrible. What? Did they ever mention why the um, why was a Mayday call? Was that ever like concluded? That they sent a Mayday and the Doctor and Mal. Yeah, but there was a whole thing like they sent a Mayday and then I don't remember who sent it because they're all the Commodore seemed surprised. Wasn't it the say, guy who was investigating? Yeah. I will say, I don't actually know. I stopped listening to the episode after Mill's third scream. Yeah. <laughs> Mel was just, uh, like, there are screamer companions, and then there's Mel. They never <laughs> gave her a chance to be likable. Well, let's go on then to the sixth Doctor and Mel, because this episode does something actually quite interesting. And because it's set from the Doctor's future, we don't see the sixth Doctor and Mel meet. No. The episode opens, they're just on the TARDIS together in the worst opening scene How do you ever recorded by a man <laughs> or woman. It yeah, is... the Doctor's on an exercise bike. Mel's force-feeding him carrot juice. Mm. And it is... Mel's just basically calling him fat throughout. Yeah. yeah. He's just training him to bike up Gilesgate Hill. It's really impossible. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it's tough to walk it, let alone bike it. I mean, I didn't like the fact that it seemed like Mel was looking after him. Because I feel like that kind of breaks the... Um, I mean, there, there is a sense of that in lots of companion Doctor dynamics, but here it's a bit more explicit, and I wasn't really a fan of that, to be honest. See, on the flip side, we don't know how Mel and the Doctor met, and Edgar, we didn't get her first, like, seeing the TARDIS, right? But that's better than when Turlo joined the TARDIS crew, and he just magically appeared inside the TARDIS, which back in the Fifth Doctor era was really bizarre. Like, there was no reaction to the TARDIS being bigger on the inside or anything like that. It's just, oh, yeah, the Doctor's trusting Turlo now. But hadn't he, like, had dealings with the Black Guardian or something? So like... Yeah, but still, like, the Doctor just accepted Turlo. It's really strange. Fun yeah. fact, I went to my uh, school, the actor who played Turlo. Of Buzzard Turlo? Of all the... Of all the audios I've listened to, and I've listened to the majority of companions, the only companion I've not actually listened to to date is a Turlo story. Um, and there is many. So my opinion of him isn't actually that high. Um, He's all right. <laughs> yeah. I that's Adric. <laughs> I will say we're, ju- I think, just over five minutes in, and already we've pivoted to a different doctor. <laughs> <laughs> so we're clearly enthralled by Mel as a companion. Okay, and this I is where like Christian Mel. is about to say she's better than the audios. Well, she is very the audio. I nearly, I nearly put that down in our notes and covered it with a highlighter just so I could uncover it the moment you spoke. <laughs> she is, but okay. But you so said I, it in the chat yesterday, so I thought you beat like, me to it. What is, what is like your perspective of Mel then as a companion of? I mean, you've only seen one story with her, but Martin's seen more, presumably. So, like, what's your no, perspective? I've only seen really fair. Yeah. Um, like she's a screamer, well, which is really irritating. <laughs> But just the show at various times have tendencies to bring in characters that have a lot of potential and then just make them the screaming damsel in distress. I think that's why Mary Tam left being Romana One, because she was promised a role that would be equal to the Doctor, and then they just turned her into a screaming damsel in distress again, Um, which makes you feel bad for her, to be fair. Um, Mel, meanwhile, actually does have a background. She's meant to be a computer programmer, techie kind of character, and the audience do actually utilise that from time to time. she has a story where she works on Mechanoid with Davros, for example. Um, and just so much more than the show ever gave her a chance to do if she's screaming all the time at every cliffhanger. 
almost mm. seemed, it does hint a lot of times like Lamel is very much in those first few scenes almost in control. Yeah. And that's not necessarily mm. uninteresting, but when you've got to it with no build up, if you've got a companion, I mean, I actually like, enjoyed that. But then they make her just scared of everything, which kind of contrasts against the idea that she's in control. Yeah, I think, I think you need almost a build up to it to get used to the character. Like, and this, not a companion, but it's the first example that comes by. Someone like Christina in Plant the Dead. You definitely get the dynamic between them. So when Christina, 20 minutes in, sort of takes control, you're like, okay, saw that coming. That's mm. fine. Yeah. But when it's this and she's sort of already there, and you're like, okay, hang on, wait. Who are you? What? I'm no, I'm okay with her being in control. Like, assuming that was an established timeline and she's eventually with a doctor for a bit, her being in control actually feels okay. Uh, like the way they set it up. But then to make her scream at every horror suggests that they have suddenly fallen back to a pitfall of thinking that she's an, a new companion, even though the original scene suggests that she isn't a fresh companion because she knows around the TARDIS and knows the doctor. So it feels a bit like just juxtaposing really they mm. had the premise but then they just went back to an original of um just yeah. she's a new companion and that doesn't um, make sense to me i mean scrolling through the wiki right now because i do my research live oh, the one there, is uh, also a great story stop i mean yeah there's a good um kill I'm gonna say, robots. it's a fantastic comedy i think there's about up to 20 stories they're mostly books a few audios that Mel has gone through. So in canon, she's had about, let's say, 20 adventures. Mm-hmm. And that's not even including ones that weren't written down. Mm. You wouldn't still be screaming. That's, you know, that's two series of Doctor Who. Yeah. You're not um, still screaming. I mean, yeah. consider... Okay, let's consider for a moment um, series 11 and 12. So between uh, Jodie yeah. and, quote, the fam- No, but just moment. <laughs> Between Jodie and the Bam's adventures, we are shown, I think, more explicitly compared to other past series of Doctor Who that there are time jumps in between their adventures. Like, quite often, they are discussing past adventures that they've had off screen. Yeah. And yet, I think they fall into a similar pitfall that they do in with Mel, that they, nonetheless, even though they've had these off-screen adventures, don't seem that developed. They are Mm. telling us they've had, and yet they don't seem that developed in the same way that Mel doesn't seem developed for the adventures she's supposed to have had. Yeah, yeah. and you're gonna sh- you're gonna be shocked because I'm gonna bring up Timeless Children first. <gasps> well, it's in, well, it's actually an ascension. Oh no, no, it is Timeless, where you have the speech from Graham to Yaz going, "You're like the best human in the world." You're also bad. Yeah, no, it's not even that. It's the fact the first time I believed that the two of them had any kind of relationship mm. was in the previous episode. It's yeah. ascension. It's one line from Yaz, and that's it. They're planning for Graham's departure and wrote that line and was like, oh, hang on, who's he saying to? Ryan's gone, the doctor's gone. Oh, look, it's this one. But yeah, but it's in the wall? Oh, no, it's Yaz. No, because <laughs> say, um, like, Clara in 12 or Amy in 11, they've all been hinted to have adventures off screen and they build throughout those, but it feels, they tell us that less, and yet we feel like it develops more. I think um, yeah. the writers of that seem to tell us they've had adventures off screen don't actually employ that to their benefit. Um, which is really was it? Was it the Big Bang when like he's got when Eleven's going back through his timeline and um and space then, like, Florida yeah. yeah space Florida that was it. I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember what it was. And that's a much better way because like they're not telling us in the middle of an episode making us think they've developed more. They're just showing us afterwards. Um, I know. Yeah. I think Show don't tell the writing rule. Exactly. Uh, some of them just don't take the advantage of that. Example being Mel in this case. Yeah. Yeah, well, let's. Um, 
I almost don't want to discuss the verb voids after what you've already said. <laughs> Go on, describe them yeah. for the audio listeners, Jacob. Yeah, what the, well, do they, they look like? Uh, they. they <laughs> sorry, I just thought the rudest joke possible, and I'm not going to tell it, but I will tell you all after we start rec- stop recording. But they, they're all green. They're plant creatures. They're covered in leaves. Their heads are sort of yellow and a bit pointy, with a kind of pink, um, almost like cross grid in the middle. You sure you're not describing your Lego build? <laughs> I did. <laughs> yeah, I did once make a Lego Vervoid, but that's beside the point. Wasn't that bad. <laughs> it was, considering what I had to work with, it, yeah, it was okay. I think the, the Vervoid, they didn't really speak. Well, they did speak, but I like their voices. I do like their voices. It's just they didn't get a lot of, you know, it was just them monologuing. They didn't get a lot of this like talking. I like it when they the villains when the doctor confronts the villains and talks to them. Sometimes they don't really do it. They just it's the episode is two different plots going on at the same time. Yeah. It's like a murder mystery because there is an actual human murderer who's going around yeah. killing people. And then from sort of episode three onwards, it just every five minutes just cuts to thirty seconds of a vervoid just murdering someone or like wandering around the ship. It's like. <laughs> It's, it's like someone's actually spliced in Little Shop of Horrors. It's, it's just the, the scene of them coming out of a vent, killing someone, and then taking them back into the vent, and then going back to the store. Vervoid sauce, I saw them vent. And I was like, why? <laughs> They're just stealing people. It's interesting. Oh. In the uh, first or second episode, I think you see like their plant based with their um, like stingers jutting in and out. It, it reminded me slightly of um, xenomorphs in the way that they have their mouth stick out of victim, um, which yeah. was interesting. Not sure if that was intentional or not, but obviously at that point, Alien was uh, a bit of a hit um, by the time the 80s yeah. came around. That's true. Um, and also on voices, um, the doctor figuring out that one of the aliens wasn't actually an alien but a human. Um, so in the trial, he was like, I'm not going to explain it to any of you. And then the story has him explain it to all of the time lords how he figured it out. <laughs> I don't mind that as a narrative device, though, cutting to the future. No, 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 past, I enjoy whatever, that, but uh, he said he wasn't going to do it and then did it immediately after, which yeah, seems that's the like doc- bad that's, writing. No, that's the doctor going, oh, I'm not going to tell you. Oh, but I really, really want to. Yeah. <laughs> Look at how clever I am. I'm Colin Baker. Of all the doctors, Colin Baker would do that. Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah I mean, most of them would want to. Uh, I really, I don't have much. I've got like a couple of points on this, but there's not really much else to say because it, it's the episode's a bit of a murder mystery, but. It's how I it, but then rewatching it. Right. I mean, I the hints throughout that the um, Matrix was lying. We're getting more and more overt. Yeah, it's like, are you yeah. accusing the Matrix of lying? Yes. And obviously, <laughs> it was, yes. you know, it was this story then. Oh, no, it was next story that Matrix lying uh, leads to the next plot twist. Yeah. yeah. But then, yeah. I mean, sorry to bring up Tommy Children again, but didn't she say, um, like, I've had a run in with the Matrix before? Was that she's had many to... runnings. Deadly Assassin was the first one. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I, yeah sorry, it's I not meant to be Joe Martin floating about in there. Yeah. Imagine if they did see the timeless children in this episode. <laughs> the Morbius doctors just run behind them in the Victorian scenery. <laughs> <laughs> but that scene in Name of the Doctor with all the doctors running by Clara, but it's just the, Dude, just the, just the faces hovering by. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, that raises more questions I don't want the answers to. I think See, that's just Doctor's way of saying like, oh, we accidentally um edited wrong, so the sound guy is just like in the background of the shot. Let's make him one of the doctors and like leave it. What are you saying that's what the Mandalorian should have done? Oh, that, that's actually Darth <laughs> yeah. Vader in the background over there. Yeah, it's just me. that coffee cup in Game of Thrones is just uh, Tyrion Lannister. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my favorite topic of the world. Yeah. Should we um? We're just skipping for genocide. Nah, genocide's the best. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I mean, it is. It depends on who, I guess. How many police stop that there, for the love of God? It does. It does. It does bring up a, a point about whether genocide is like justifiable. Valid for the question. greater good, for like the greater good of stuff. I think the greater good. Yeah. Tom, where greater are you good. going with this? Okay, let's explain the context. <laughs> the episode ends. The Doctor has to. To save all the humans and non-humans on the ship, the Doctor has to he, kill all the Vervoids, and he like uses some metal to accelerate their plant's life cycle, so they just they basically go through they go through all the seasons, and they get to winter, and then obviously die because that's what plants do. Mm-hmm. And the question is, was it justifiable? And I will point out there are only about six of them, <laughs> so it's not. I'd say I'd say how it was big do you need a murder to be before you class it as a genocide, Jacob? Well, the genocide is like. The killing an entire species, right? So it doesn't matter how much. That's true, but it is like you commit genocide. Like, yeah, but I could. Do one exactly many of them? I killed six people. I killed. I committed genocide. It's the same thing, but I say people really um, loosely. Um, all, all right, thanks, Cassandra. <laughs> if ever, yeah, just needed moisturising. <laughs> <laughs> Surprised Davis didn't just have a verb. The doctor would make a terrible botanist. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, when he was stranded on Mars, he didn't grow potatoes. He just sort of, uh, you know, stopped the base blowing up. That was the worst Martian reference AI could have possibly made. <laughs> it was weird that how this trial then immediately changed to just the value of just going, oh, this trial doesn't matter anymore. We're now changing the terms and saying that we're accusing you of genocide. Like, what a well, yeah. Is. Well, that was the cliffhanger, so let's move on to the next episode. This well, is nice, why nice Diana's a bad inquisitor. She can't I said nice tangent, stop ruining it. <laughs> <laughs> so I have the ultimate foe, and the premise of this is the Doctor's now on trial for genocide, but then the Master shows up and basically what? says that the whole trial is a sham, and also Mel and Glitz from Mysterious Planet are there as well, who the Master's called in as witnesses. Because why and not? it descends into a battle between the Doctor and the Valiad within the Matrix. So this well, one... I mean, I knew every twist of this going in, but it's actually very, very good. There were there were some scenes that felt a bit off, like when the Doctor came back to the trial and was like, um, just save the truth, it can't hurt me. And then the Doctor goes off back into the Matrix to be um, executed. It was just really rogue, that scene. Like, for a moment, it seemed to me like the Doctor was acting out of place. I was expecting Vivalia to just appear pretending to be the Doctor and tricking Mel. But no, it was generally just the Doctor being dejected for some reason. Um, it was just him, because he knew what was going on. He was yeah. just, it's just, he, it's just... This entire series is just him messing with the Time Lords, making them think that they are controlling him, whereas he, he knows he has control of the room. Yeah. And now also we get um, we get Mysterious Planet come back in explaining what exactly happened. So mm. the first story suddenly becomes relevant um, and how it's the Tidal's fault, basically, and they were yeah. using him as a scapegoat. I still don't like it, I'll point that out, but yeah, it's relevant. <laughs> yeah, I mean, see, it was interesting for me because this was the first story I've seen with um, that incarnation of the Master. Same, actually, yeah. 
Yeah, I say incarnation like I didn't know he was taken from the Legopolis, but um, not Legopolis, um, the Kraken, Keeps of the Kraken. You but, say the Kraken? Um, <laughs> Keeps of the Kraken, I got there eventually. Um, uh, but yeah, it's quite, I mean, it, he wasn't the major villain, which would have been nice to see as like him as a story, but it was nice how he slotted into it. I mean, Whether, ones, where, even if it was just to uh, just to, like to show off that the major could be hacked. I, f- I feel like even way back in Pertwee's era, the master is never the main villain. If, I mean, he's oh, in the Pertwee era, he kind of is. Wait, no, but, isn't there always someone else with? It's never just the master. It's well, yeah, but he's always employing the other people thing. somehow. Well, like, he's always in charge, but it's 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 more. Kind of, there's a lot of like talk. Yeah, he's he's a yeah. subsidiary villain. Like the master needs the. Well, they do it. Yeah, but it's the same as they do in modern day. Except every single time it's Cybermen. Yeah, what the show doesn't <laughs> realise is that they could just bring back the Axons. He might. Yeah. 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 The Axons would be fun. <laughs> Imagine the master teaming up with a Celestial Time Maker. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know exactly what Martin's thinking right now. <laughs> no, not for now, I am. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're all thinking that now. <laughs> Should we explain for the audience or just let them imagine? I mean, we'll if you want to imagine. explain, you can go for it. Can <laughs> <laughs> we just continue talking about the master? Yes, we should. <laughs> and, <laughs> I like that one then. Google it. They say a bad word because it's the 60s. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Tom. Is that how we're excusing it, Tom? Yes. <laughs> no, no, no more questions. Yeah, um, what were you going to say, Martin? Like, I think the reason the master was put in here was... Well, I like how they develop his character. He's basically jealous in this episode. Yeah. He's only doing what he's doing because the Valiard is being a villain to the Doctor and the Master doesn't like it. No, I actually yes. think it's cute. I actually think what uh, Angley Master <laughs> does is really cute this episode. He's looking yeah. out for his hate buddy. Yeah, he's like, only I can mess with him, so I'm going to help him. Like, I would ship that. <laughs> don't in, don't in get Tumblr started. There was a lot of, like, tension between them. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, should we talk Valiard then? Because in this episode, Amy never told the Doctor to kneel, though. <laughs> <laughs> can we? Can we not? Yeah, we can move on. <laughs> let's let's talk the Valiard. Real put some sunglasses on. Can you? Yeah, Tom. He does this. He just sort of says random crap that you haven't done. <laughs> Word filter. What we done now? I think existed, but that's beside the point. But yeah, let's okay. talk about let's talk about the Valiard. I love the Valiard as a character. His voice well, okay. is so good. The concept you you had a whole section on the podcast last week. Let's talk about something new because the Valiard is actually spoilers a future version of the Doctor in between their twelfth and final incarnations, who's now trying to steal the Doctor's generations so they can properly manifest themselves. Yeah. I mean, I, I said it. I said it in the chat um, last night. If if Chibnall brought back the Valiard as like a story in series thirteen, fourteen, I would probably forgive him for everything he's done so far. Oh, but Tom, I've said I'd forgive Chibnall for a lot of things if he brought back various classic characters, and he's just not doing it still. Nobody yeah, might because 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 this has been set up since the eighties. Like he's got the perfect thing to do it now because he now he's off the fourth incarnation. He's okay, like, but but the audience did it better. Oh, speaking of audience, I have another one to add. <laughs> I feel yeah, we'll like get we we'll get to your list later. So it's said like he's between the twelfth and final regeneration, and so back then people assumed, oh, it's the end of his life because thirteen regenerations. Was but, that was that was that when was that explicitly stated? Deadly assassin. 
Because it, because in death, in the like what death the doctor in um in Surgeon Adventures he's got like twelve hundred or something. Five hundred. Yeah, well, kind of... yeah, but that's that's Russell T Davies taking the mick. It and yet, like half of the mind. internet took it seriously. I just went actually because of death the doctor got five percent. Like no, he doesn't. I get all my information from um from Surgeon Adventures. I was expecting you to say Tumblr there and <laughs> dangerous. Yeah, don't don't take information from that. <laughs> but I feel like they they even though at the time of Time of Victoria, so the David Ten and then the David Tennant era, he was still the tenth Doctor, and nobody knew about John Hurt. Nobody knew about that stuff. The two tenants. Technically speaking, if it's between Tennant and Smith, like they missed a trick with Time of Victoria and could have brought back the value after that. What is the question about bringing back F- any classic fix? So, like the Valyard, the Rani. Um, let's say, let's let's see your Rani again. is tied up in a lot of rights issues at the moment, which is why we're not seeing her really. Yeah, it is the question of if you brought back one of those characters, how many people would actually get it? I don't see the Normally. issue with bringing back a character like Varani, though. So Varani's gist in the classic era was mad scientist time lord, and that's not really hard to expand on and making something new and fresh. Like, I don't actually see the issue of bringing back these titles. Bring back the monk, you totally say that he meddles with history in various ways, and that will be his gist. Um, it's not hard to use their concept as an archetype for something that can become more defining the new era. I'm not saying you couldn't, but I think there is an over-reliance on people going, let's just bring back all these things from the 80s or the Well, yeah, 60s. it's not necessary, but not all of these are, like, hardly, like, hard defined as how they work for us to be unable to use them in new ways in the new era. Yeah, just you know, trying. I know you've got them off. The, just trying to come up with new ideas. The Minister of War, for example. <laughs> I, see, I think the hard thing. About, I think the hard thing now is that the way Doctor Who has evolved at the moment is that there aren't many people who are still watching it who are like big diehard fans in the eighties. Just the way that the shows change and evolved over time. Uh, so yeah, I, you think I about the. Would get it. Yeah, think about you know, there's te- probably several hundred nitwits who left when Jodie Whittaker came along. But I yeah. still don't see this as like in Sarah Jane Adventures, Russell T Davies loved referencing the classic era, and that was fine. Well, that's uh, different because you've got a base of a classic companion. Okay, but it was yeah, for based the primary base of children for Sarah Jane Adventures was for children, so they didn't know the classic era. Uh, they didn't know that Sarah was necessarily a classic companion. They just knew she did aliens. Yeah, but, they still referenced the classic era. Well, it's only it's kept to references though, isn't it? It's not explicitly. Yeah, I was going to say. Okay, except except for Brigadier, <laughs> I will give no. I will give you that one. That is entirely fair. But I mean, the Brigadier is certainly more iconic than the Valyard. Yeah, but we're only saying That's, he's more yeah. iconic. Like, and I will iconic. say the original intention wasn't to have the Brigadier. It was meant to be Martha, but then she got booked up uh, filming Law and Order. And then there was a last minute, oh, let's do the Brigadier instead. So a good choice. Choice. to be fair, that's <laughs> no, a good choice. But like, I feel some of these things, we would see them in more positive light had they already been a new era, right? Like, what if the show didn't br- decide to bring back some tyrants? We'd be like, why would you bring back some tyrants? Bring back something new and original. Like, you could say to a lot of counterexamples. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. You're not wrong, but I think, I I think there's, a, there's a lot of... Um, well, I think I think difference between monsters and characters. I suppose. Yeah. But I still don't think it's an issue when there's regenerations at play. Like, you can make just a blank slate, but, but use it as a basis. I mean, there is always the inherent... I mean, it, it's explainable, because I think we've had this conversation before. But if it, it is a time board, you're like, hang on, where, where have you been this whole time? I think mean, you get away with it 
once almost twice if you count the monk in the audios mm-hmm. but then it's like okay the dogs go around last the time that's just like a half a dozen of people over there going i know we've been here the whole time just yeah but you accept it just as an era thing at that point i think i think try not to think about it too hard and let the stories flow hmm. wibbly wobbly timey wimey it works exactly anyway uh right i mean i'm oh, gonna man. christian you've got two minutes to talk audios two minutes i mean hmm. Oh, okay, so that's a lot of time to be honest. I don't need two minutes for this, but basically, um, the audios like they do use everything to all the time on sets up, right? Like they give us more Valiad content, they give us more Perry content after we find out she's alive. Um, which, you know, I'm surprised the doctor didn't go running straight after Perry again. I'm surprised he just left her. I think the point actually, yeah, when he's told like she's married to Yukanos, he's so like. Okay, I think I might leave her there. Yeah, Brian, that'll do. Like, they do address that in the audience. He has a whole arc with a different companion where he grows to uh, realising that he wants to see Perry again. And then we get a kicked-off trilogy with him going back to the Perry that married Ikanos, um, like, saving her from a mind parasite and then going off on their own adventures. They have an audio recently that came out, came out where all the Perry's actually less trusting of the Doctor and they have a strange relationship. So they decide to uh, go see uh, Sigmund Freud to uh, do relationship counselling. Of all the people to pick. Yeah, and the person who wrote that story was Nev Fountain, who is per- like Nicola Bryant, I, who actor who plays Perry's uh, partner, which must be a really interesting dynamic, honestly. That's um, counselling right there. <laughs> yeah, um, there's obviously The Last Adventure, which does six much better justice of dying than just bumping his head on a console. Like, it's mm. one final confrontation with Valyard, and it's so good. Um, and then you saw me right at the end a moment ago, The War Valyard. So in um, Eight Doctor Time War, the, the Time Lords are desperate to win the Time War. And what they do is they bring the Valyard out of the Matrix, and he defeats the Daleks in the Time War. Um, he actually manages to end the time war, but the time laws, because they're awful people, decide to lock him in a time loop in a similar way to Heaven Sent. Um, and over iterations, he becomes more and more like the Doctor, to the point where we meet an old Valyard who generally acts like the Doctor. And it's a really interesting dynamic. Um, big fan of that story. And the time war generally does end. Uh, the Daleks only managed to restart it by creating the ultimate Davros in a different reality. Um, yes, you do. An amalgamation of all Davroses. I will say your two minutes are up. Great. So thank you. So let's, before we uh, do questions, uh, what did you think of Trial of the Time Lord overall as a narrative? I liked I it. it. Yeah. You know, I. No, go on. Given how messy production was, definitely as a, as a narrative in the trial scenes, it really is good. And I think some of Colin Baker's best TV moments come from Trial of the Time Lord. Speech, speech. Yeah, speech. The speech he makes in Ultimate Foe. I think the reactions he makes when Perry dies and him coming back into the um, trial room at the beginning of Burboy, it's just the look of pure defeat. And I like how his tone changes between like the first half and second half. In the first half, he's all playful, kind of joking about to the Time Lords, going, oh, why am I here? What am I doing? And then immediately after Perry dies, the tone shifts and he's like, right, I've got to deal with this and you're all in trouble now. Yeah. I mean, that is rather brilliant. Yeah, I mean, the, the one thing I didn't understand was what? if there's, like, Time Lord, like, law about, like, not meddling with time and style, how, how 
did they let him like look at his future through the matrix knowing then that would you think would he then be able to go back and change things i mean I would it help if i said the celestial intervention agency exists just to break all those rules yeah the people like the no no, no it's the division christian mm-hmm. no the division is a division of the celestial intervention agency the division doesn't exist there's no such thing as division it's just a separate cell within the cia Let's let's move on before I break something. Uh, okay, questions then. We have one from Hawaiian. Uh, would series twenty four have been better if Colin Baker had stayed on with Mel? I mean, are we keeping the stories as they are? Let's assume the stories are the same. Let's assume Mel still leaves. Yeah, at, probably um... not because they're not good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. I, I mean, mean I... it would have given six another chance to go up against Arani, which yeah. would have been interesting. Although Varani also meeting a new incarnation of a doctor as a time lord dealing with someone with post-regeneration madness is interesting as well. Yeah. Not that time of Varani is particularly good. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah, you've I got... Think... I mean, I mean, I, I've not seen any of Series 24, but I just, we read the summaries like two minutes before we start recording. None of them look particularly inviting. Series 24 is kind of a nadir. It picks up again in Series 25, and we get Series 26 to cap Doctor Who's classic era off, and it's just the best. Like, they really pick themselves up again. Like, I'm sad it got cancelled, but at least it got cancelled on a high, which probably mm. increases chances of returning later because of how fondly it ended. At yeah. least it ended on a high, yeah. I think, I think I'd say that if Six and Mel had continued for Series 24, they, that means um, indirectly they probably would have had a... Um, proper generation sequence. I yeah. mean, they Colin did. Baker got so mistreated. Well, they yeah. offered, they said to Baker, come back and do a regeneration. And Baker said, oh, I'll do another series and at the end regenerate. And then the BBC just stopped replying. That's, my yeah. that's why. Yeah, that's yeah, why. So that's McCoy with the yeah, time yeah, in the Rani is just clearly McCoy's face and just like <laughs> an afro. I mean, so Baker, like, it's interesting. at at panels these days, he says that he regrets not coming back to do the regeneration sequence. He feels like the fans deserved more. And it's just so, it shows what kind of character Colin Baker is, that he regrets not doing something that he, I feel, in the right to not do. Like, the BBC mistreated him, and yet he loves the show so much still. Yeah. Like, a, like a, that's the conversation some people have with Colin Baker. When I met him, we were talking about the weather. <laughs> and it's Jenny oh. Drew. I just sort of walked up to him, and he's like, weather's nice today, yeah. He just mocked my scarf. Yeah, I've seen the picture. The inferior baker. Yeah, but I mean, at least he got Last Adventure, which is a really good send-off for his doctor. It is, yeah. it's I mean, That's probably why he does so many good audios, because yeah. he regrets well, yeah. I mean, also, Six is kind of a blank slate because of how little time he got in the show to really express himself. So big finish and just got to go all the way out with it. In fact, because he didn't have a defined time when he regenerates, they can just put in anything they want, make him travel with any companion they want, and it works. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. That's great. <laughs> okay, we've got one more question, but I think we've kind of answered it. Emily was asking what we think of the master's role in this story and how he defeats the Valiard. I think we've kind of gone over that. I mean, we've got another That's question. Like We're not doing that question. So, <laughs> yeah, Tom, would you answer the question if I asked it? Yes. Okay, go on. And so, that's all we have time so for this Christian week. Asks, I... um, in, the, in the chat, he asks uh, the trolley problem. What would you do? Well, wow. <laughs> I mean, actually, no, I have an answer for this. But okay, I, but I, can Tom go first? Fine. I've I have no it. answer for this. 
So right, do my you not think allow the trolley to kill five people <laughs> or pull the lever um, and kill one person? No, no, my turn. Right. The, my question is just to clarify: Are are you tied down on the tracks? Because if so, <laughs> that will make a difference. Um, let's say that I'd be tied down on either track. Oh, so it's a win-win. It's a win-win either way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so let's. let's okay. Uh, on, on, that on promise the one of murder. Hand, on no, the no, one no. hand, you have uh, myself and Martin tied down in a bundle of five people. On the other track, you have Tom. <laughs> yeah, things. If I kill the two of you, though, then I can consolidate my presidential power. You would also have to host an EGM, and that's quite messy. Yeah. Enjoy meeting fine. Quorum, Jacob. You know how that goes for us. Yeah, I can. I can handle it. Okay, let's leave it there before <laughs> someone starts questioning what we're on about. Although I'm not surprised if that hasn't happened about three like weeks ago. Yeah. Okay, next week we have the docudrama of an adventure in space and time to celebrate the anniversary of Doctor Who. And we're also looking at Peter Davidson's The Five Doctors, which celebrated the 20th anniversary. And hopefully we'll have a trailer for Revolution of the Daleks to talk about as well. And we'll get to uh, see a new guest star, uh, Tom, next week. Yeah, Tom's back. So I look forward <laughs> to it. Yeah. We're in the vault. You should be impressed by my to just not believe for the duration of this. Uh, you know, what? yeah, I, I'm impressed. I'm disappointed. <laughs> next, next time. Week. Next time. Okay, <laughs> let's let's leave it there. Bye, everyone. Bye. Purple Radio podcasts. Thanks for downloading this Purple Radio podcast. For more great content and to listen live, head to purpleradio.co.uk.